Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. If you are looking for vendor process training for you or your entire vendor team, head over to my site at DeborahRRichardson.com and click on the Vendor Team Training Solved button to learn more about what is included in the annual plan and also to download a training schedule. Get the training that you and your team needs to avoid payment fraud, duplicate vendors, compliance fines, and more. Whether you are an individual contributor or you manage team members, I know that you are wondering or have wondered at some point if your team is really making that phone call to vendors who change their bank account information. Are they making it? Are they making that phone call every time there is a change? Well, today's episode will answer that question by giving you an internal control that can work to prevent not only external fraud, but also internal fraud as well. Keep listening. Welcome to episode 181, add this internal control to prevent fraudulent payments. No, it's not the phone call, but it can sure make sure it's done. Wow. And just reading that, I remind myself all the time that I am like my forte is definitely not naming things. I always name it too long. If you take a look at my webinars, you can tell it's the same thing. I'm just, that's just not my forte. But what is my forte and what we're going to talk about today is how you can make sure that uh, the phone call is being done and uh, put another layer of security or um, fraud risk mitigation in place to make it that much, uh, uh, give it less uh, potential that you will send a fraudulent payment out. So let's start this off with where that phone call um, typically lies in the process of validating vendor bank changes so that you prevent fraudulent payments. So typically, if I work with a client, this these are the steps that I add to their process. Uh, I think it's four things. The first one is authentication of the requester. And that is when you verify or authenticate that you are actually talking to someone at your vendor's place of business or your internal team member that may be collecting that information or requesting uh, what needs to be done on behalf of the vendor. So whether they email you or they contact you and they ask you what that process is. And they may even email you, even in today's age, sometimes the, that initial request will come with like bank account details in the email. And they may do that, 
but you still need to authenticate they are who they say they are just the same way that your bank authenticates you if you try to call in. They're going to ask you two to three questions uh, to make sure that you are who you say you are. And you need to do the same thing with your vendor and you need to do the same thing with your internal team member if they are not calling from a company phone line or if they uh, company phone system or if they emailed you, they are not emailing from their internal uh, address. And one thing I do want to say is I would um, authenticate them no matter what, meaning the internal employees, because one, there is deep fake technology that works if someone contacts you, right? That, that's when it kicks in. I know it's not where it needs to be, but it has come a long way from where it was. Um, so you have to be wary of people that call. Plus, again, they could not be, they might, may not be calling you from their company phone. They may be calling you from their cell phone. And two, uh, frosters have learned how to remove that external indicator from emails. So you can no longer get the warm fuzzies that you used to get that you're actually dealing with your internal team member just because that external indicator is no longer there. So you really need to authenticate both your uh, vendor and your internal employee when they contact you to make a change in your vendor's banking. And again, you want to make sure that uh, you're asking both your internal team member and your vendor two to three questions to make sure they are who they say they are. I do recommend that you write this down, document it, put it in a matrix and give it to all of your team members that take uh, calls or emails, respond to emails uh, related to supplier inquiries. Uh, and I do have one. I have my uh, uh, three-step vendor setup and maintenance e-guide. And that e-guide is really everything that I always talk about. It's just 66 pages, no fluff. Everything is bullet points and action items. I know we in AP are type A personalities, so no fluff. Um, but with that comes an authentication matrix with some sample uh, criteria or elements or questions that you can ask. So that's one, authenticate um, the requester. That's what I call it. The second thing I always add is authentication of the data. Now, what does that mean? So if a vendor is uh, changing their banking information, then you need to require or create a company branded ACH form and require that they submit it. It doesn't mean that you can't also ask for a canceled check or for a letterhead, um, either from the bank or from the vendor. Just know that accepting only those without the company branded ACH form um, is not good because those forms can be forged. So if you still want to accept them, you can. And in some cases, I do recommend it, especially in countries that have an IBAN, um, because you want to make sure that they enter that IBAN in correctly. The IBAN can be up to like 30 some digits. It's all different formats based, uh, depending on the country. So having, uh, an additional, uh, document that can validate what they put on the form on the company branded ACH form can be a help. 
But I do recommend that you create that uh, company branded ACH form and you require it. And on that form is where you will uh, request that they enter or require that they enter uh, authenticating data. And so what do I mean by that? So I mean things like the vendor's tax ID, uh, their remittance address, and that can help you too, by the way, if you have a system like PeopleSoft or maybe Oracle, where you have to uh, identify a, a, an address or a site or a location uh, that needs to be tied to that specific payment method or those bank details. So you can ask for that as well. I also um, uh, have on the company branded ACH form that I have available on my site, uh, the internal team member that they are dealing with, especially if it's not a PO vendor, right? So um, their internal team members that they have a relationship with, have them put that information uh, their, uh, that person's contact information on the form. And then that way, if there are any red flags, then they, uh, you can contact, um, that internal team member. And then lastly, um, the most important thing that I always ask is the, it, uh, existing vendor bank details. So have them, in, in addition to having a section to enter in the new banking details, have a section to enter in the existing banking details. And if they push back on that, that has to be a red flag because if they don't have the existing bank uh, banking details in uh, uh, how do, then you have to wonder, do they have the authority or the access to uh, change the uh, vendor banking information. Like if they don't have uh, the access to go and obtain the existing banking information, how do they get the access or even the authority to get the uh, new banking details and then be able to submit it? So uh, require a company branded ACH form and then require authenticating data on that form. And once you get that form, um, you can compare the existing information to the vendor record. And if there are any red flags, uh, if you've also required the internal team member uh, that uh, be included on that form, then you can contact that internal team member um, as well. Now, I know um, I've heard of uh, other teams and you may be one of them that instead of asking for an existing banking or existing bank account or their existing banking details, they will ask for the last three, four. I heard of one um, uh, team that asked for the last 10 uh, payment dates and amounts. So uh, that is one option. Um, you can have on your form uh, that you require them to enter in the last how many ever you you uh, determine is great for your company. Um, the last three, 10, whatever that is, uh, payment dates and amounts and include that on the form um, as well. The point is, is to have them authenticate uh, based on data that you can confirm in your accounting system or ERP. All right. So that's the second one. Um, so the third one is once um, you have authenticated the requester, accepted the forms, uh, the company branded ACH form, and then authenticated that data. And then you have 
before you change that information, you will then contact the vendor uh, via phone and verify that they it did indeed uh, request that change. And the key here is, is that you're not using the information on the email. You are going into your accounting system or ERP or you're going to the vendor's website and obtaining contact information if it's not on your vendor record. Um, but you're reaching out to uh, uh, someone at that vendor's phone number that you know is valid and you will verify that the vendor um, uh, did request the change. Now, one uh, best practice is to, uh, if you have it, uh, contact someone other than some, uh, than the person that requested the con, uh, requested the change. And I've actually read, I, did I read it? Do I hear it on a podcast? Maybe I talked to someone about it, but they said that, uh, they no longer, uh, maintain contact information in their accounting system or ERP because it just changes too much. I had actually never thought about that, but they said that if they really, if they needed to contact the vendor, they would just go to the website and uh, contact them using the phone and then just get routed to accounts payable if they didn't have a direct AP line. And uh, I thought about that and it kind of makes sense because you actually really do have a lot of maintenance in maintaining the contact information. I don't know that I would act, actually do that. But um, the point here is that if you don't have contact information in your vendor master file, don't feel bad um, because there are some folks that will not um, have determined that they are not going to um, store it. They're just going to reach out um, to or look at the vendor's website when they need to. So authenticate the requester, authenticate the data, and then you confirm via the phone call. And one thing about that phone call is I know that everyone says that's the be all end all. Um, and it's just, it makes it sound so easy to just call the vendor. We know it's not easy. We know the vendors are not there um, all the time, right? To pick up that phone on the first call and, and verify that they did make that change. So make sure you document the attempts to confirm uh, the vendor, uh, the vendor banking change. And that means it can be as simple as an Excel spreadsheet or a Google sheet, but just uh, document uh, the vendor's uh, uh, ID, the vendor legal name, uh, and the date the request came in, um, the phone call, uh, phone number you use to make a call, the date, date, uh, the day and time you attempted the call. And that way, uh, again, these vendors, if they don't pick up the first time and maybe the, uh, it's documented. So if that, uh, team member that tried to attempt it to confirm is out, then the next team member will know where to pick up from. So, uh, make sure you are documenting uh, that phone call. So that was three steps. Now the fourth step is after the confirmation phone call is successful, you go ahead and make the change and then you send out a notification to the vendor to let them know that it has been changed. Uh, and this is the same way that if you know, you make a change on your account at your bank, at Amazon, at Hulu, at Netflix. They always email you 
to say that a change has been made on your account. And if you did not make this change, contact us right away or change your passwords or something to that effect, depending on um, what account or whose account you change. So you want to make sure that you give that to the vendors as well. And I understand um, one that uh, you may not have email addresses, um, so you want to make sure that you collect, uh, that you update, or have a project to update your vendors' emails where they're missing. And if you need some help with that, I actually have an episode called Nine Ways to Collect Missing Vendor Email Addresses to Update the Vendor Master File. It's episode 146, so make sure you check that out. But in any event, you want to contact the vendor and let them know that something has changed on their account. Now, if you don't have an email address where you can email that notification, then you can uh, also uh, mail it to their uh, physical address or to their mailing address that you have on file. And again, you should be used to seeing that because some um, uh, companies, when you make changes, they'll not only send you an email, but they'll also send you a letter uh, uh, as well. So you need to do the same thing um, with your vendor. And what that does is that gives, um, that may give you, if the vendor reads the email, that may give you some advance time on knowing that that payment may be, uh, that the payment is fraudulent or that the bank details that you just updated were fraudulent. And if the vendor um, actually reads their email uh, quickly, they may be able to contact you and let you know that before the payment even goes out. Or at the very least, they may be able to uh, contact you when you still have the chance or a chance to recover the funds. So sending that notification to the vendor may be great for you and the vendor, and it could definitely uh, get you notified that it could be a fraudulent payment um, before the typical time um, that the vendor notices, which is when their payments are late or when they're reviewing the statement, both of which um, scenarios really end up being done or caught after that time period of recovering the funds. All right. So these are the four things that, uh, that I typically add for my clients. And I have recently started adding one more and I will tell you, I did not come up with this. Um, I had a client that was already doing this because, uh, they had a segregation of duties issue. And I thought, man, this could really be put into place, uh, across the board, whether, you know, you have a segregation of duties issue or not because it can be uh, that extra layer uh, to make sure that your team members are actually following the process of contacting the vendor in what I consider that third step. All right, so 20 minutes later, that internal control is to review invoices that are over a certain threshold, and you can determine what that is, that have also had a vendor banking change within the last 90 days. Now, an example can be reviewing invoices that are $300,000 or more that have had 
bank changes in the 90 in the last 90 days. Now that 300,000 for your company can be 500,000, can be a million, can be 15,000, can be 5,000. It is whatever you said that works for your company. And this review needs to be done by management, right? So have a manager. And this is kind of like a a compensating control, right? For a segregation of duties. And in accounts payable, segregation of duties really means that you should not have one team member that can create a vendor, post an invoice, and then generate a payment. So when management reviews invoices that are over, I don't know, $5,000 or $15,000 or or $300,000 or a million dollars that have had recent bank changes in the last 90 days, they can then go back to that vendor record, take a look at the a company branded ACH form and make sure it was collected and that it is filled out and that the authenticating data matches what is on on the form, matches what is on um, the vendor record. They can also look at that confirmation log where you documented in Excel or Google Sheet uh, the uh, successful phone confirmation Um, as well. And then that way, uh, management can prevent both internal and external fraud. Um, Because internal fraud can occur again, when there's a segregation of duties issue, or even when uh, team members that have access to change the vendor master file or the vendor record, Um, will go ahead and change the banking to their own bank account to try to get or divert that vendor's banking. And so you want to make sure that you check that. Uh, And that will also capture those where in the accounting system, you can change vendor banking and then wait for the payment to generate and then change it right back again. Because when you pull that management pulls that report, They're pulling in all bank changes within the last 90 days, which is going to pull in that uh, bank change and then change again back to the actual vendor's banking. So whether it's internal fraud you're trying to avoid or external fraud, this step will do both in addition to making sure that that phone call is being done because you're requiring it to be documented on the confirma- uh, confirmation log. And as a part of this internal control, that confirmation log is being reviewed to make sure that this bank change was uh, confirmed by someone at the vendor. So now there are five steps. Uh, I added, I used to do four, I added one. And so those five steps are authentication of the requester, authentication of the data, phone call to the vendor, send a notification to the vendor once the change is made, and then reviewing invoices over a certain threshold that have had bank changes in the recent 90 days. I will say though, that with those five things in place, I have 
uh, been successful or two of my clients have been successful with eliminating that phone call altogether as long as the other four steps were in place. And again, one of the reasons why um, you might want to do that is because that phone confirmation process uh, is just very manual. It's time consuming and you can't always be sure that the team members are 100% every time following that process. But no problem at all. If you want to keep that phone call, now you have an additional layer to verify that the phone call is being made and also to prevent a fraudulent payment. So thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 181st episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy. Stay happy.